it's really interesting. I was reading in your, um, in this article about when you went to visit with students and you were saying, Hey, we don't, people are important. We don't want to hire robots. And that is one of the catchphrases in this um, community of it's a KIPP school, which is like a really impressive school that does a lot of really amazing things. One of the things that they say all the time is no robots, which means show up as a person and see the people in front of you and respond to them like they're people as well. I am being joined today by my favorite guest. Mr. Anthony Melcary. Hello, sir. What's up? It's been a long time. I haven't seen you in so long. I don't think I've seen you this year. I think the last time we talked was like November, which that's a shame. I mean, we talk, but not like this. Well, I've changed a lot. I grew four inches. <laughs> and um, as you can see, I have a lot of hair. No, yeah. it's been, you know, it's, it's been, it, I think everybody's in that kind of space where it's like, we're all moving, but like, we're all kind of still in a zombie trance. Yes, we talk. I we talk about our, we talk about our podcast a lot, and um, you can just see you almost see through people. People are just like, "Yeah, I'm here. Hi, how are you?" Yeah, <laughs> but I, but I'm re- I'm really spent. That's what like most people like on our podcast that we you know we talk to people every day, and uh, whether it's a CEO or a general manager or anyone, and it seems like everybody's a little bit in a fog. Absolutely. And you guys have a different, so for higher education, our busy, we're about to be done with our busy season and hopefully over the summer, get a little rest, but you guys are about to dive into summer travel. Well, yeah, yes, yes. But what I predicted yesterday on my show, so if you watch my show, which I, you know, I know you, you, you watch it. So, yes. uh, I, and I, oh no, wait, you didn't see it because we take, we pre-taped it. So, um, it hasn't been shown yesterday. Uh, okay. So it was a, it was a different free tape. So um, we're going to be, I think, dropping it today. Right now, I think it's 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 dropping. And anyway, so uh, the question was, what do you think is going to happen in the next twelve months? And, I did see, I did see this. I did uh, see this one. Uh, this was we, ask ask Anthony episode. Yeah, when was that? How long ago? Uh, two hours. Oh, two hours ago. Oh, so it dropped. Yeah, oh, that's right. It dropped on the East you're Coast. You're in Las Vegas, so you don't know what time it is. <laughs> I don't know what that's going on. You're right. You're right. So, yeah. And so you can tell, you can hear what I predicted. And I predicted that um, after September, I think we're, 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 the hotel business better pay attention because yeah. I think everything that's going on in the stock market and inflation and supply chain and the war and yada, 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 yada. I think people, you know, when they call it, uh, everybody just kind of like the roaring 20s, right? It was pent yeah. up. Well, pent up doesn't stay pent up. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Right. So I think we're all a little bit uh, losing our minds and we're all like, oh my God, look at all this rate we're getting and everything. Even though it's not being serviced as well as it should be in some in some cases because of different issues. And I think uh, September, it's going to come home to, to roost, but hopefully not. And, um, and corporate business really isn't back yet. So we're, we're keeping our eyes open. And what we try to do yeah. on our podcast is kind of, you know, be ahead of the curve. For sure. It's all very complicated and there's a lot of forces right at work. Um, so listen, today we're going to talk about something that you have a lot to say about. It's about how to lead for excellence delivering well-defined and reliable student success services. So I want to get there, but you know, we always do 20 questions, only I do 19. Uh, it's been so long and I'm, I'm you jonesing. You forgot? No, I'm jonesing for it. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited. Like, I got up this morning, looked at my schedule, and like, yes, twenty questions. We're going to do nineteen. <laughs> um, so we're gonna do that, and then we'll do State of the Union, and then we'll dive into our topic. So, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So I haven't talked to you in so long. These questions are a little general. First of all, did you have a good Christmas? Yes. Good. Thank God. Thank God. What did you do for New Year's? Uh, what we always do. We stayed home. And did you have a bunch of family over? Yeah, about 15, 16 people. Nice. That's great. Okay. You did the commencement speech in December for Indian State River College. What did you talk about? I talked about mindset and talked about really the theme of it. No one's coming. Like no one cares and no one's coming. So what are you going to do about that? So what are you going to do about that? That's great, Anthony. That's a great, that's how I live my whole life. No one cares. No one's coming. That's how I've been successful. That's why no you're successful. Yeah. That's right. And I, and I said something in the commencement speech that um, success doesn't come uh, in a box from Amazon Prime. You know, you got to work for it. True that. You got to work for it. That's great. Okay. Name four places, the last four places you traveled. Oh, Arizona, Florida, Las Vegas, and Las Vegas, Florida. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, and um, in Arkansas. Nice. Okay. Are you going on vacation this summer? Yes, no, maybe. Okay. We'll see. All right, Anthony, the rest of the several of these questions come from my travel over the last six months. Um, which is worse in a hotel, a bad bed or a bad shower? Bad bed. Because you, you spend eight to awful. nine hours in the bed. Yeah. A, bad a, bed shower, a shower, you can you can work around it, right? Either not take a shower or take a bad shower and it's over. A bad yeah. bed, you'll spend nine hours twisting and turning. It's terrible. It's terrible. Okay. Which is worse in a hotel room, a gross carpet or bad lighting? Gross carpet. Because a gross yeah. carpet makes everything smell. I know. It's so gross. Okay. What do you do if you check into a hotel and you find that your sheets are dirty? You call the front desk and you say, uh, please, I'd like to check out this room, check into another room. And can you please uh, check the sheets for me? Or can you please send up sheets and make my bed because these sheets are dirty and please check them before you come up. And then okay. um, I wouldn't ask for a discount because typically I'm there as a, a friend of a friend. So, yeah. um, but you could definitely certainly ask for a discount on your room because that's Different disgusting. Different room or change the room. Yeah. That's okay. disgusting. That happened, it, that happened to you? Yeah, it was terrible. Where'd you I, stay? I pulled back the sheets. I don't remember. I pulled back the sheets and there was hair in the bed. You know what I love about you? You do remember, but you won't politically be incorrect <laughs> and tell me. <laughs> That's true. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Should I travel with a black light? No. It's just better not to know, right? Because if you travel with a black light, you're never going to travel. I know. I think that's right? true. I it's considered like, it. Yeah. Listen, God, God, I don't travel with a black light. You know, God gave us an immune system, thank God, a lot of us. And, <laughs> um, you know, just, just just don't be silly, right? You know, it's like yeah. I, on my couch behind me, um, like if I'm going to sit on that couch, I'm going to put a towel, even though it's really, really clean. And this hotel is beautiful. Yeah. I'm, at the, I'm at the MGM Grand uh, Skyloft. My friend Mark uh, met up in this beautiful room. But I, and it's very clean. It looks like it was just shampooed. But I, anytime I sit on material furniture, I always put the towel. 
That's super helpful advice because if you're putting a towel on that couch in that room, everybody should always be putting a towel on every couch in every yeah, room. Yeah, and, and it's not it's not it has nothing to do with the hotel. Like this is a five-star yeah. hotel. It's just gorgeous. Be smart. Yeah. It's 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 just not even being smart. I've done it for so long, it's a habit. Yeah. Okay. Do you have special travel sho- shoes that you wear when you're traveling? Um, the mm-hmm. answer is yes, but I don't travel with them. I haven't traveled with them in the last six months because I've decided I don't want to wait for luggage anymore. So I have, uh, just a you know, one I, I travel with that I bring on the plane and it has no room for extra anything. So now I just take really, really good socks, like really thick socks and I wear my socks. Okay. That's interesting. You say that. Cause my next question is, has your luggage ever been lost? Once a long time ago, but yeah, but, um, That's great. a long time ago, where was I? Um, yeah, I, at once, I, and I think I was in Spain. Ooh, that's yeah. tricky. Um, okay. Is everyday housekeeping at hotels ever coming back? There's, there's a two part answer to this, or okay. let me answer it this way. Um, if it's a resort hotel, if it's a five-star hotel, um, if it's a um, a kind of cool hip hotel, boutique hotel, they're, they're, they are doing daily housekeeping in some of those hotels. But okay. if you're talking about the regular um, kind of uh, regular hotels, the regular branded hotels, whether it be IHG, Marriott, um, Hilton, I don't see it coming back anytime soon. I see actually eventually in some hotels, not tomorrow, but you're going to start seeing an extra charge to get your room clean. And I know, really? yeah, I, I, I hate to even say it because it's embarrassing, but I think that that has become such a problem to find labor that that is going to be an issue. Um, so no, like, like, but I'm always a person like right now I have this beautiful room with, I have a butler, I have all these people and I just closed my door and I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll be out in two days, you know? And so like I was out of my room all day yesterday and I just put a do not disturb and no one came in my room. Um, So you're going to see that Mm -hmm. more. It's a problem with those people that go on vacation once a year or once every two years because they want the full experience. So I would say just choose appropriately, call the front desk and say, hey, we would like housekeeping services every day. Is that possible? Okay. That's a good answer. I appreciate that. All right. When is the last time you wore a tuxedo? Um, the Forbes travel event in, that's a good question. The Waldorf Astoria, Beverly Hills, a month before the world shut down. Really? Yes. Wow. And if you want to know a funny story about my tuxedo, you should ask me, but we may not have time for it right now. Okay. All right. If I, if we have time at the end, I will ask you, do you ever go barefoot in a hotel room? Zero, except, um, this hotel room, um, the Skylofts, and the Nom- the Nomad Hotel, because okay. it's so clean that I absolutely do. The Nomad, I, I, I did. I've been doing it for years. I, I'm kind of new to the Skylofts, so uh, yes, I do. So, but, but very, 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 nowhere else, nowhere else. Generally, you should not be going barefoot. In our no, okay. no, 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 no. Um, if you're going to get, especially <laughs> if you're going to get into bed. Right. Right. Okay. Do you prefer Uber Lyft or taxi or renting a car or are you such a big deal that they always just send a car for you? All of the above. So I'll give you, I'll give you my travel. <laughs> I'll give you my travel in the last month. Okay. I rented a car in Arkansas. 
I took a lift in Orlando and they sent a Rolls Royce for me in Vegas. Oh my gosh, Anthony, yeah. that's so fun. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be dropping the Rolls Royce picture uh, later tonight. But uh, yeah, cool. so they, they, they sent me this beautiful Rolls Royce the other day. So uh, awesome. depending on where I'm at. So I like lifts and Ubers and cabs. Uh, in Vegas, you take cabs really everywhere. Um, but I also, like when I was in, um, where was I? Was I in Arkansas? No, oh, and I was in Texas, I forgot to tell you. I was in Austin, Texas a couple weeks ago. And uh, I had two days there. And um I didn't have um, a car, a rental car, because of yeah. weather, and they couldn't get me the car. Anyway, so I said, whatever. So my, I, I called the rental car my place, drove 20 minutes in Uber just to get my uh, rental car, because I, I can't be, like, I can't stay in a hotel room for more than, like, you know, to sleep or hang out for, That's like, an hour. Crazy. Yeah. And so I got my Uber, or I got my rental car, and I went to Terry Black's in Austin, Texas, best barbecue in the world, Okay. The best. And then I saw Joe Rogan at the vault comedy show. Oh. Yeah. The last minute they had one ticket for $20, like in a corner. You couldn't even see anything. You had to look at the video. But it was really, <laughs> it was really cool. I've never been to Austin before. And it was really cool. Austin is amazing. I'm I was there, that. Yeah. I was there just for a second, but it was fun. Yeah. Fun. Okay. Two more. Um, have you ever cried at a movie? <laughs> oh my God. That's the silliest question everyone's ever asked me. <laughs> I, I, I cry. I cry getting popcorn. Okay. Do you know what the last movie you cried at is? Every movie I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> probably some documentary on, on Delta. I cried. Listen, okay. my, I, I, if I'm in a movie or I'm downstairs and we're all, we're all watching television and the movie comes on and it, it could be anything, but it's a little sensitive. This is my whole family. <laughs> Looking down the road. Saying, on you. <laughs> oh yeah. The other day my daughter said to her friends, like, He's ridiculous. He was crying at a commercial the other day for like insurance. And I was just oh. like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I cry all the time. I, you I, have I cry. a very I, tender heart, Anthony. I appreciate that. Well, okay. you know, I, I, I feel things. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, my last question is what is the, not, I'm asking for a friend. Okay. What is the appropriate response when a hotel gives you a key and you go up to your room and you open your room and somebody is already in there. You get a free room. hundred percent. You go downstairs, really? you say, I, you know, listen, I just walked in on somebody. Not only is it a security issue, I was embarrassed. They were embarrassed. I could have, if they weren't in the room, I had access to all their things. So I'm not comfortable staying here anymore. Um, so can you please reassure me that I should be comfortable? And by the way, I'm not paying for a hotel room. And it's like, yeah. well, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to pay for your hotel room. It's like, you know what? Uh, adjust my credit card. I'm leaving. I gotta um, go. That's you know, it's unfortunately it happens. Unfortunately, yeah. it's happened to me where um, I've done it when I'm running hotels where we've mistakenly given the key out. Yeah. Um, but it's there's some things unacceptable. That's one thing that's unacceptable. It seems like the cardinal sin, right? Like in all the ways that you just mentioned, it seemed really bad. That, so. and if you can unscrew your people, that's a cardinal I thing. saw that. Oh my gosh. You guys, Anthony just posted a video of, from the outside of a hotel room, unscrewing the peephole so that you can then 
look into the room. Yeah, I did that it on the terrifying. I, I did it on the Today Show. They put a door up for me in the suite. They like on the Today Show. I'm showing Carter and whoever else it was going through the room, like what to look for. And I unscrewed the peephole, and they were all like flabbergasted. But what was interesting about that? That video had 150,000 views in three minutes. Literally, it went viral, and I took it down because we did two shoot. We we did it once. And then I said, you know, I get it from this angle too. And so I didn't put the, I didn't put the inside back in the, in the, in the uh, people. So the thing that you screw it from, there's a cylinder inside. So yeah. we did, I said, don't put the cylinder back inside. I'll just kind of make believe I'm unscrewing it again. You know, Cause I unscrewed it the right way. And I, did it, I did it legitimately. But when they edited it, they showed the cylinder was empty. So a couple of people called me out on it. And my, my social media person said, do not stop it because it's going viral. I was like, nope, take it down. And I took it down. And that would have been probably my most viral video by – it would have been millions of views. And then once I reposted it the right way, there's only 60,000 views. But a fan said, I noticed what you did. And that's why I love you and I love following you because no yeah. one else would have done that. They would have taken – and what I said was, if they were crucifying me because I was short or ugly or I had a bad show, I can deal with that. But you're calling me a liar? I right. would never do that. That is not. And plus, you're right. That looks set up. You're right. It looks like I faked it. So I'm just going to put the real one instead of explaining it to you. And it cost me probably the biggest viral video I've ever had. Wow. But well, you know, I, I love that one comment. That one comment was, was the price of admission for me. That's like, I noticed what you did and I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that too, Anthony. People are always talking about how much of your show is staged and you're like, I'm sorry, what? No, that's not how we roll around here. <laughs> actually, actually, as I get older, um, I get um, probably more cranky about that question, about that answer. Because yeah. as I get, as I get like older, I realized uh, just how intense that show was. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that was 19 questions. Thank you for playing with me. Appreciate it. Got to leverage some of your hotel know-how today. Um, I want to do State of the Union. I have a lot of articles for us to go through, but I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. First of all, I want you to know that a school we serve, Roxbury Community College, um, they had Robert Hale Jr., who's the co-owner of the Boston Celtics, as their commencement speaker. And he gave each of the 150 graduates $1,000 as a graduation present. He said, keep $500 and then give $500 to somebody um, that you want to give that money to, which wow. I love. Wow. When I, awesome? yeah, when I did my commencement speech, I didn't do that. Oh, that's okay. It's, I, give I mean, out, it was I a give, lot more students, right? I give, I give out hugs. <laughs> You're like, you may take pictures with me. But I just love that as, as a model of being like, hey, we want to be close to you. We want to invest it. in you. Listen, yeah. the Cosmopolitan Hotel out here, they just sold and they gave each employee $5,000. Wow. It's a That's big deal. Awesome. It, it's getting a lot of buzz in the, in the industry, and um, which I think it's great and fantastic and wonderful. But it's like also like, why not? You guys made billions of dollars. It's like, yeah, that's such a simple gesture. For sure. I love that too. You guys, I want to tell you, there's an article in the New York times that you should read. It's called my college students are not okay. Anthony, exactly oh. to your point of how everybody is feeling. So Matt and I have been visiting campuses and everybody is like, Hey, our students are not doing well. They're not showing up. They have test anxiety. They're not being successful in their classes. Um, basically this article says, Hey, Students have gotten out of the habit of coming to class 
and it's not a way for them to be successful. So not only are they missing in-person instruction, but they're not having these sort of collisions with their faculty so that faculty can say, come and do this research with me, or, you know, I want to write a recommendation for you for this piece of, uh, you know, this job that you want. Um, and it's really interesting because they highlight the University of Dallas, which is a smaller school that in March of 2020 sent their students home, but then they brought them straight back in fall. So they only had kind of a long summer. And this school was saying, as a result of the school's decision, the students didn't have time to develop these habits of disengagement like so many students at Zoom U did. And they're doing a great job. They're really like invested and working well. And so the article's outcome is that professors have to make rules that say students have to come to class and we have high expectations because that's how you help students thrive. You, you know what? I, as you're talking and at the end, I'm so, I like, I got so excited that you just said that because I was busting at the seams to say expectations. You have to set yeah. the expectations to the student, to the parent saying they will be coming to class. And yes. if there is a problem for COVID or anywhere else, they won't come to class. Right. Just like we say they can't come to class, we will say they will come to class. And I'm kind of at the end of this because my daughters were in school most of the time. And yeah. then at the end, they weren't. And then my daughter was working at the market. Now she's working at an event plan and she's home two days a week. And I saw like at like the end that if my daughters went through this for four years of college or three years of college or with all the, and again, they, they missed a real serious technology hit. Whereas now it's just like everybody's on TikTok for five hours, yeah. Uh, yeah. 10 hours a day. So I saw what it did to them a little bit. So I couldn't imagine, and they're very social people. I couldn't imagine if my kids were growing up this way in high school and college. And you have to set the expectation. You have to set it. I have a, yeah. I have a niece that didn't want to go back to school. And they said, no, no, you have to come back to the classroom. And I was like, how is it? She goes, ah, it's all right. But it makes her, listen, it makes her get up and brush your teeth and, and leave the house and That's function right. as a human being. You know, That's when right. I was staying home for, yeah. for all that time, um, I, I was like, oh, I have to leave the house. And once I started leaving the house, I was fine. Yeah, that's right. I think it's, it is, there's something about you just need a push to say like, no, this is what we're doing now. And we have that expectation. And then it helps you to kind of regulate, but students are out of practice and who, I mean, listen, when I was a college student, if I could have opted into just staying in my room and taking naps and hanging out all the time, I totally would have done it. But that's not yeah. how life goes. That, that right? is so. literally just, just like hanging out at the club at three o'clock in the morning is, you know, designed to destroy you. Uh, staying in your room by yourself and doing your homework and doing, you know, video games is it's just as strong a drug as what you're going to find in the club at three yeah. o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It's not good for I, you. I totally agree with you. Um, there's another great article about a new book called A Problem of Fit. It's written by Philip Levine, who's an economics professor at Wesley College. You guys, this is such an interesting book because basically um, this author is like, I'm an economist. I started saving for college for my kids when they were born. Now they're about 12 or 13 and I was trying to decide if I'd saved enough money. So I looked to see if I was eligible for, for financial aid. So I'm trying to understand like what's the price of college and all of that. And he said, I have a PhD in economics. I'm really good at working with numbers and figuring things out. And I could not figure it out given what colleges were supposed to report. And so this whole book is about how do we understand the price of college? How do we tell, talk, parents, uh, talk to parents about it transparently? 
How can they make good decisions about what they should be spending? It is just, um, Matt's son is about to go to college. His oldest son is about to go to college. And so listening to that process that parents are going through to try to understand how much it's actually going to cost them with somebody who's in the industry, who understands how things go and is still super confusing, much less to our average parents. So I think it's going to be a really helpful book uh, for people. Yeah, I think everyone should get that book. And I wish I would have read that book. I will tell you, having three girls in college at the same time, private college, was probably one of the most stressful things of my life. Um, yeah. Not only because it's just a boatload of money, um, but because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. I was right. like, I was like, okay, it's due now. What do you mean it's due now? It's like I paid that. It's like, yeah, but then there's this. It's like, okay, just pay it. And it was like, it was so. So we had a college coach, and in the beginning, when we had the college coach, thank God. And I know you do coaching too, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so I. Like, thank God we had them. And, you know, we took out the stress from the whole family immediately. So it yeah. helped us. But, you know, we were able to afford a college course. They're not cheap. Yeah, for sure. Well, just thinking about one of the quotes in this article is if a college, first of all, how do we expect families to be able to, to pay $15,000, right, to send their students? And that's not a lot of money. But if they don't have it. I was going to say, if they don't have it, what are they supposed to do? Where are they supposed to come up with that cash? And that is not a lot of money compared to what college is. Right. right. $15,000. I have one daughter um, that that's, you know, that was a semester, right. For, for the, for the daughter that was the least expensive of the three schools. And that was a semester for the least expensive daughter. So it was, it was, it was crazy stressful to get through that period and to map it out, you know, it would have like, I wish somebody would have said, Hey, Anthony, this is how you should map it out. Um, you know, the way we went through it was not, um, I was fortunate, but I could have been in a lot of trouble because I did not realize it was that insanely expensive. It is insanely expensive. That is true. Um, also Anthony, to your point at the beginning of our hour together, inflation is impacting tuition prices. So colleges are being squeezed in the same way that so many of our households are. They're having to pay more money for goods and services like food and utilities and healthcare and other essentials. Also having to increase wages for their faculty and support staff. Um, And that increase in tuition that we're seeing across lots of different institutions is not enough really to mitigate the inflation effects. So you're also seeing reductions in other areas, which listen, for higher education, we're coming out of two years where we've made reduction after reduction after reduction. So now we're talking about really cutting into some really valuable things that our schools provide. Um, Boston University just uh, said that they're going to do a 4.5% increase in tuition University of Virginia approved an 8.4% increase in tuition. And then also we're having some um, conversation about how governmental policies to forgive student loans are actually really difficult for future college students. Because if you have somebody who's choosing how much money they're going to spend at a college, they're inclined to spend more if they believe that in the future their loans are going to be forgiven. So it takes off some pressure from institutions to keep the prices down because people are like, oh, it's probably going to be forgiven in the future. I can just pay more money. So there's a lot going on with the cost of education, what's happening with the economy and how higher uh, education institutions are going to answer that. 
So to your point, it's super complicated. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunately, I don't like to depend on the government, but they're going to have to fix this problem because in all aspects, and I talked about it on my podcast that you heard two hours ago, that this isn't like, oh, okay, this, this will figure itself out. There's got to be policy to figure this out because, you know, you, there's nothing you can control with the goods and services being, uh, you know, what's going on in the pipeline. You know, you, you can't control the world. You know, I was saying like in, in, even in Beijing, I think it was Beijing, I mean, they shut down forever, right? So now all of a sudden, all those problems, 70% of the goods and services from China come out of that area and they were shut down for months. So it's, it's exasperating the situation. It's very, very complicated, all of the pieces that go into that. So we're just going to have to keep watching that. Um, but have you heard, have you been following, you and I talked before about the, um, the what is it, NIL compensation that NCAA is doing for athletes. Mm-hmm. Did you hear, so a bill coming out of California would require public and private colleges in the state to create revenue sharing agreements to pay their athletes They have to set up degree completion funds for players who would then be able to access up to $25,000 a year. The colleges will calculate how much to put in those funds by taking half of the revenue earned from every sport and then splitting it among the athletes and then subtracting like sports scholarships. So you have your bank account that the school says we make X amount from your sport. There's 10 of you. So we're going to divide this money among you. And if you complete your degree, you can cash out. You can get the rest of the money. So going to be really interesting to see what happens there. A really big question is that um, male athletes would receive more money than female athletes because male athletes make more uh, money, obviously revenue, which puts then schools in danger of being out of compliance of Title IX, which says they will spend the same amount of money for both athletes. So It's just really complicated, but I'm so happy to see that athletes are going to get some compensation for all of the money that they're bringing to institutions. Yeah. The the thing that is wonderful, and I think that's long, long, long overdue, um, I'm I'm just afraid of colleges cutting out programs um, because of this. And it's like, you know, we're not making enough money. we got to cut it. Now, a female athlete and having three daughters and the biggest advocate of women in the world – um, I understand that if the football program is making $500 million and the women's soccer program is making $100 million, that right. those young ladies will get less money. That makes sense to me because it's a business, right? Right. So, so th- you can't pay the, pr- the quarterback, you know, if he's making X amount of dollars because they're generating half a million dollars, half a billion dollars, but the, the goalie is only generating whatever. So I'm okay with that simply because that's just – that's just the world, right? That's just business. If you're running, you know, a Tesla or you're running a coffee shop, you know, it's just your, your, your economics are different. As long as yeah. it, it's, it's fair based on economics, but I am concerned that a lot of colleges will start cutting uh, teams. Well, this is what happens always is unintended consequences, right? Like we make this little change, the NCAA does, and then you just see this ripple effect in all different places. Yeah, so- but I am sick and tired. And, and it's literally, <clears throat> it's been a tragedy in front of our eyes since I'm a kid of all these coaches and all these programs making hundreds of millions of dollars. 
and pretending, well, they're college kids. We don't want to corrupt them. Are you kidding me? The one yeah. thing I saw recently, and I can't remember who said it, but it was one, it was a uh, it was a professional sports uh, person retired, and he said, um, "Yes, we're giving them money, but there has to be somebody helping them manage that money, and there's got to be somebody okay. literally like there's got to be there's got to be a mentor with each one of these kids." And I so, totally agree with so you. So it almost has to me almost has to be in the trust. It's like here's yeah. the money. But like you don't have free access to this money to just blow it. I mean, because at this 18, the, you, you have no control. over. That's over, right. This is the problem with even professional athletes that in their first year when they're making millions of dollars, they spend it all. Right. And you're like, you have seven years to play. And then that's the money yeah. that you're going to have. Yeah, so but I think, I totally but I, oh, yeah, but I think that they, they're, they've gotten out a little bit under control. The, the, a lot of the leagues have gotten out of control, but you can't yeah. give a, a, a college athlete who's getting all the celebrity you know, a couple hundred grand and expect him to manage that well. No, absolutely. All right, Anthony, that is the state of the union. Thank you for joining me for that. Lots of things going on, lots of things to, to keep our eyes on. So I want to talk today, like I said, about how to lead for excellence, something that you know a lot about. Um, I want to start with, so we're going to talk about how you both define what you're providing for students and then make sure that you're delivering that reliably. But I was daydreaming this morning about um, doing Campus Impossible with you (laughs) and how fun it would be to just go to a campus. I was when I was listening to your podcast this morning, you were talking about how you go to a hotel and you just walk around and look and see what's happening um, at the hotel. And I was wondering if you think about Campus Impossible, like you go to a campus, what are you looking for to try to figure out? what's broken and where they're not doing a good job and what what are you looking for in that case when i walk in mm-hmm. yeah just when you're spending the day on the campus like what is the what are the things that you're like here are the places that we need to address how would you assess that what are the things that people are not always conscious of so you're saying when I walk on the campus or, or the hotel, like, what am I looking at? I'm like, actually, I actually did this with Glenn last night. I'm like, see that? And he goes, why? I go, see that? He goes, I go, you wouldn't have seen that, right? And he goes, what? I go, that. And he, <laughs> it was like marks on a garbage can. He goes, no. He goes, I wouldn't care about that. I was like, then you don't care about everything. Right. So, yeah. so it's like all the little things. 100%. And you were saying. You are saying too, this idea of it's not so much like as you're looking at processes, like how are we coming to a conclusion? How are we delivering service to our students? Right. It's not always about the thing. It's about the process around that, that particular thing. Right. Which I think it's always the process. It's always the process. Everything is a process. You know, why can McDonald's be so successful throughout the world? You know, it's always the process. Yeah. Cause they, yeah, they, they figured out how to make a hamburger, but how to do it in a way that it would be fast and reliable and you would know what you're getting every time, right? 100%. Yeah. So as we think about this idea of like a well-defined process, so we have to first be able to articulate what are we trying to accomplish? And then we have to be able to deliver that in a reliable way. And in this book, The Culture Code, which you guys know I've been talking about, we're almost at the end of it. We're in our second to the last chapter Um, They talk about well-defined for a process is um, dependent on a culture broadcaster. 
And that means that you have somebody who's in the middle of that process who is constantly broadcasting what is true about what we're trying to do. And I was thinking, Anthony, one of the the things that you are so good at is broadcasting culture. And you tend to do it in these really short catchphrases. So I'm thinking about, um, I found this article from when you were in Atlantic City at the Stockton University a couple of years ago, like four or five years ago. And you're talking to the students and you're the way you're broadcasting culture to them is in these like digestible sentences. So you say, be a five-star person, even if you're working in a three-star hotel, right? That's a great example of like, there's this depth to it. It's broader than what you're just saying, but it's digestible. It's rememberable. Like somebody is going to be able to come back and say, I remember that Anthony said this. Um, you also said leadership is contagious, which I love great principle of saying, here's the kind of culture that we're going to live in. Uh, You also said, don't talk about your goals, just be quiet and do it. Don't talk about it, be about it. So why is it that you communicate in these like digestible, understandable catchphrases for, how did you learn to do that? Uh, I'm not uh, that smart. So I need to uh, make sure (laughs) that things are pretty uh, uh, digestible to me. I remember, and most people do, if you remember one thing from a conference, then the conference person has done their job. And so I, I just think that way. I just think, get to the point. Like, what's the point? Like, I'm, I'm a very impatient person. It's like, I just want the point. Just tell me this, like, how do I solve that issue? Yeah. And also, I, you know, as, as social as I am and everything, I'm really friggin' private. And I just don't like um, uh, really telling too much about myself. So or my, even my philosophies, it's like, because nobody really wants to hear people ramble. And I'm not very succinct to begin with. So I just find, <laughs> I, it just comes out. We call them, you know, I, I, uh, my wife calls them Anthonyisms. Yeah. It, it's just well, a natural thing. They're so powerful because first of all, they're sticky. So people remember them, right? They're like, and and also it's the tip of the iceberg. It is a really succinct way to communicate a really broad idea. And this book is saying that it's so important because we have in our teams and in our culture on a campus or in a hotel or in a family or wherever, we have these really simple rules that we make sticky and we talk about all the time that then like stimulate this really complex set of behaviors that benefit our employees or our students or the people who are staying with us. And so what you're doing when you're delivering, I was thinking about your favorite, um, go slow to go fast. Right. Like when you deliver that, what you're saying is that then in everyone's brain should kick, kick out this really complicated set of behaviors, right? You're saying, slow down, be thoughtful, lay the foundation, make sure you've done it right. Don't skip steps. Like all of these things that you're communicating in this very um, quick phrase that people who have been around you understand the depth of that communication. It's amazing. Good work. Well, well, thank you. Well, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Well, well you know, it, people don't communicating is the most difficult thing we do because what I'm talking about right now, what I'm saying right now 
you're probably not you, but most people will probably only hear about a very small percentage of what I'm saying. So, and it's that, let's think about me communicating or the words I say or the quotes I say. It's about the way I say it. It's about my enthusiasm. It's about my body language. It's about my hands. It's so, so people a lot of times get lost in what I'm saying because it's like, I can't take all this energy. So, but they do remember the quote. So it's just, yeah. and it's not something I can teach. It's not something I even thought about until you said it. It's just something that's part of who I am and my personality. Well, it's the ability to distill down this really rich meaning to something that is sticky and something that people will remember, which I really love. Um, and I was thinking about as we're looking at dele- delivering well-defined processes to our students, I think we have to look around and see which of those catchphrases do we use and how do we continue to remind each other, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is why we're doing this thing. This is the way we should approach this because that really is about leadership. It really is about saying, Hey, we have this complicated thing ahead of us. This is the way that we're going to approach it and the way we're going to deliver it. So it's about, it's about setting expectations. Yes, exactly. Um, it's interesting. I was reading in this book um, that we were talking about the culture code. I don't know if you know this person, Danny Meyer. He's a restaurateur in New York. Do you know him? You do? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't mean to say it this way, but asking a person in New York if they know Danny Meyer is like saying, you know, does somebody know who Donald Trump is? It's, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Danny Meyer is a god in our industry in New York. Yeah. So this whole chapter is about Danny Meyer. For those of you who don't know him, he's like has 25 successful restaurants in Manhattan, which if you think about restaurants in Manhattan and how many of them are created and how many of them survive, he is like unbelievably successful at creating restaurants and having them be amazing. And this whole chapter is about how he does such a great job of helping his employees to understand what they're supposed to be delivering and how they're supposed to be delivering it. And I thought about you, Anthony, in this story. So this, this author went to Danny Meyer and was like, how do you do what you do? And he's like, I'm going to tell you a story. He said, there's a woman, a young woman who's moving to New York city from the Midwest. She is at one of our restaurants having dinner with her parents and her parents are terrified because she's moving to New York. And so they're just like, anxious about this big city and is she going to make it and is it going to be okay and all of that kind of stuff and so as they're having dinner they're having this conversation and near the end of the dinner the dad is looking at the menu and he points out a glass of dessert wine it's 42 dollars a glass and he says to his daughter oh my gosh it is so expensive to live in new york and the waiter hears the dad say this And he goes and gets this bottle of dessert wine and brings three glasses. And he says, hey, you guys, this is a really famous wine. We're so happy you came tonight. I really want for you to try this on us and pours them three glasses. And then the book says a small explosion of surprise and delight ensues. And Danny Meyer says this task of, first of all, the waiter has to be alert to the dynamic between the excited girl and her worried parents and has to notice the father's comment about the wine and has to connect it to an idea and has to be empowered to spend the the restaurant's money and then deliver that gesture with grace. Like those are very simple things, but when they're all connected to this idea of, he talks about collecting the dots 
and uh, yeah, collecting the dots and connecting the dots. That is his phrase for what this waiter did to then ease the parents' stress, make the daughter feel like she has a home here. Um, that short communication is a way that all of his waiters understand what their priorities are, right? And it's really similar to a lot of the communication. An explosion of delight and surprise is the standard for what hotels and restaurants should be trying to achieve. Yeah. And I was thinking with families, like in higher education, I think we have a similar thing. So there's some other business things that we have to do. But a really big piece of hospitality and what we say in higher education, which is community, is how do we help a person to feel like they really belong? We care about them. We see them. We want them to be well taken care of. You know, in so many of our campuses, the phrase would be, we walk you to the place. So like a student comes in and they're like, I don't know where the blah, blah, blah is. And instead of being like, okay, go that way and turn left, you just say, hey, come with me. Let me, I'll show you where that is, right? But we're looking for these little places to give them surprise and delight and and make them feel like this is a community that's going to care for you, you know, and support you. Absolutely. Um, I, think it's, I think it's everything and he does it really well. Yeah, he's really amazing. And and Matt, just let me note that said, you know, part of where we're looking for this is when families are anxious. So that's a powerful place in that restaurant story because the waiter recognized like, oh, this dad is really worried. We deal with anxious families all the time and we have to figure out a way to say like, this is a safe place for you to leave your son or daughter. We're going to care for them. We have support in place, right? You have to be able to communicate that really well. And, and not only communicate it, show an instant where you've actually done something to impress the family. Yeah, that's right. So I'm glad you said that because um, another really important element of this idea of catchphrases comes from one of your favorite books from Schulte, Excellence Wins. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says that you have to be careful to not have talk, uh, cheap talk right? You can't just say like, oh yeah, we're a family here or, oh yeah, we'll take good care of you or whatever that is, but that you have to actually have that to be a thing that you are demonstrating that you are then saying, and look, here's how you know that what we're saying is true because it can be actually really insulting when you are saying we're a team or we're a family or we're a community or we're going to take care of you. And yet I can't, I I actually can't say the words where a family, where we have this culture, we're a team. I can't say those words. I just have to demonstrate it. Um, It makes me sick when I'm in a meeting or something and people talk about team and policies and all that. And I walk around their hotel or their business and I'm like, are you absolutely kidding me? Yeah. It's like, that's such a joke. So yeah, I, I, I think you have to demonstrate it every day. For sure. And, and actually I think the disservice is it becomes, um, it's not even a shortcut. It becomes a lie, right? It becomes like, well, we're saying we're a team, so we must be, as opposed to the reality of like, you don't have to say you're a team if you actually behave that way. You don't have to ever mention it because we just know um, that that's that that's a fact. Well, so it's um, yeah, it, it's 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 every day. It's like you know our personal relationship, our friendship, and this what we do together professionally in this business. I'm the same person behind the scenes, and you're the same person, and. It's, you know, it's, it's everything. I mean, there's too much, there's too many policy books and too many words in this world and not enough, and not enough action. 
Yeah, I totally in, agree. in businesses. Same same thing with colleges. People promise your dream. I've said it before. And then they take a kid that was out the night before that to four o'clock in the morning and they're the one doing the tour of their building. It's like, what are you doing? You're saying these are your policies. <laughs> these are your policies. This is what you believe in. And then you're taking a 19-year-old kid that was or 21-year-old, we'll say it was legal, it was drunk <laughs> off his butt last night. And now at seven o'clock in the morning, you expect them on the Saturday morning to bring a family who is literally their whole life for this moment. Yeah, that's exactly right. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about how crazy it is to think about the investment that you're making in higher education as a parent and that your spokesperson then would be a 21 year old who's going to walk around and tell you about things. If you're not doing a really good job of crafting that message and making sure that they're, they're talking about the reality of your institution. Right. Um, I was reading this book about higher education catchphrases. So I wanted to get your response to some of these. It's really interesting. I was reading in your, um, in this article about when you went to visit with students and you were saying, Hey, we don't, people are important. We don't want to hire robots. And that is one of the catchphrases in this um, community of it's a KIPP school, which is like a really impressive school that does a lot of really amazing things. One of the things that they say all the time is no robots, which means show up as a person and see the people in front of you and respond to them like they're people as well. Um, It's such a great way to say we have to do that connect piece with our people before we try to solve any problems, right? Um, I also love the phrase that they use in the school, which is if a teammate needs help, we give it. And if we need help, we ask for it. So these little catchphrases are, are how we are teaching each other how to respond to students and how we're looking at each other's behavior and knowing whether or not that's um, living up to the standard that we expect. Um, and I was wondering for our listeners, so I don't know if for those of you who joined us, if anything comes to mind right off the bat, but one of the action items I think we have to focus on are what are the catchphrases that we say all the time as we're trying to provide this uh, service to students and these processes to students and what do they actually, how do they actually tie to our behavior? Because it's like you said, one thing to be saying these things all the time, but if you are not tying them to behavior, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and, we, and we've talked about this before, but the one thing that every organization can do and every business can do is hold everybody accountable for saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, how are you, when you're passing them in the hallway, when you're passing them in the classroom. Like, it is absolutely out of control right now where people are not looking at you. I was just at my favorite hotel in the city of Vegas. Uh, five-star hotel and it was a guy who's you know is obviously security but not like um a regular security guard like you could tell this person was probably special forces and now is kind of like this elite you know uh security officer for this major five-star hotel i walked in the room the door and he didn't even look at me now what does it take that now i appreciate the security i appreciate that 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 guy looks like he can beat up everybody that's going to try to hurt me but all he had to do is smile and say good morning. So I don't remember all his training and his like, like I was afraid of him. Like I was like, this guy could beat me up. And yeah. I, I want him, I want to, I want to come into a hotel knowing there's somebody at the front door that can take care of me. Right. But you're not saying good morning, like this dismissed everything. So don't you think that's interesting that it's like, I mean, we, you know, as we were talking about, everybody's out of practice with being with each other. And so maybe it's not super complicated. Like you don't have to come up with the best sticky catchphrase, 
for how you're delivering service. I mean, if you just say like, I will see and greet every student that I come in contact with, that's a great start. We're out that's of it. practice. So not right? only that, that's not the, only the start, that's the start, the middle and the end. That's it. That's it. People want to be recognized. That's it. It's simple. Yeah. It's simple. It's I, I'm kind of sick and tired of my whole career saying it. It's just like, man, <laughs> you know, it's like when I take over, everybody knows I'm in a room, right? When I take over a business, everybody knows I'm in the room. Why do they know I'm in the room? Because I'm paying attention to everything. You know, right. me and Glenn were saying the other day, my OCD and uh, all the uh, uh, ADD, whatever I have, it's getting worse as I get older. And I'm more like kind of aware and intense and, you know, and I don't know why I have, you know, the eye that I have or, or the intensity that I have, but it's helped me be authentic that people understand. You may not like me. A lot of, you know, some people like me. Some people don't like me. It's it just the way like it is. you, Anthony. What is uh, wrong with them? <laughs> well, when I'm running a business or I'm on a show or whatever, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm nice. I'm a nice person. Um, but not everybody likes that. But yeah. everybody needs that. Everybody wants to know, even the person that's trying to hide from you, they want to know you're paying attention to that. You know, yeah. it's like your kids don't want to be bothered with you until you don't bother with them. Right. <laughs> right. That is the truth. That is absolutely the like, truth. I don't call my daughter like in 24 and my daughter's in 24 hours. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I, we talked yesterday. He's like, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't text me this morning. So oh, I'm sorry. You're I missed right. it. And vice versa. <laughs> but, but when I'm up your butt, like about like this, that, and the other thing, or just saying good morning, it's like, dad, I'm busy today. You like, you, you like texting me all day. It's like, okay. And then you go 24 hours. Like, so people want to be recognized, but they have yeah. to be recognized in an authentic way. It's like, yeah. if you're saying, if you're saying, um, like when I fly Delta, I love Delta, but when somebody says, thank you for being a diamond member, there's two ways of saying it. Thank you, Mr. Mulcair, for being a diamond member and, and you know, him back my phone or my boarding pass or, ah, you're a diamond member. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You, without your business and people like you, we can't fly or whatever. That's never been said to me, yeah. <laughs> but like, like I would appreciate somebody having a personal message to me. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, I think that's a great place for our action item to say, how do you build in, We um, in this book, they talk about collisions. How do you build in collisions with your students and with parents and with other people so that you can be present with them and greet them and see them and make sure that they're okay? Um, the last thing that I want to talk about that I knew that you would have something to say about is in this book, um, Danny Meyer talks about what happens when a mistake happens. So we're talking about reliability, right? And so he says, when I see a mistake in my restaurant, I pay attention because a good interaction um, after a mistake means that there's an increase in energy. Like somebody in the dining room drops something and then people come and they clean it up and then they leave. And that is a good mistake because it means we've trained our people that when something happens and we have to recover, you expend energy and then it's over. And he says a bad interaction after a mistake is when people are either decreasing energy, so they're disinterested, like, okay, I guess I have to go clean this up now or whatever, or when they're angry with their teammates because this thing happened. He's like, when you see those two things coming out of a mistake, it is not a good culture. It is not a culture of care. It's a culture of disinterest, distrust, and frustration. Like you but are not being thoughtful. If you read nothing else in your life or you hear nothing else in your life in business, just remember that. 
Just just put that in a box, put that in a gold case, mount it on your wall, you know, get security guards to guard it. Just remember that. That is it. I mean, there's nothing I can add to that. That is just absolutely incredibly perfect. What I, I won't add to that, but I will give you an example. When you're in a restaurant and there's a waiter that passes your table that's not your waiter and doesn't like give you a new napkin or give you water or, or t- take a dirty dish. Um, but then you've been in those restaurants where you see another way to come over and say, oh, let me get that for you. Let me pour another orange juice. Would you like another Coke? We've seen yeah. both of those interactions. Which one feels better? It's that simple, right? right? And that's an engaged, that's a teamwork, that's a team effort kind of team. Like we saw it in sports. I won't, you know, in the basketball team this year, it exploded. It imploded. And they all went home and they were all like, all right, I'm done. And we saw it. And it was simply because for some reason, whether the coach or the leader didn't keep that team together. It's the same thing. It's like, I love, I love when I see my waiters work together. It's fantastic. Yeah. Because it is that, I mean, that's the culture that we are actually are on a team and we are trying to accomplish something really significant. And so being able to say when there's a mistake, we respond with energy instead of responding with anger or lack of energy, which I will tell you, it doesn't seem difficult, but the number of times that there is a mistake, sometimes a significant mistake, and a person responds with a lack of energy or disinterest or anger or whatever is shocking to me. It doesn't seem like it's that hard to be like, I'm sorry that happened. Let me make that right for you. But few and yeah, far we, between. We need, we, we need a cultural shift. We really do. We need, we need, um, we need to be able to we didn't see this whole thing with social media and just completely disengage us as humans, as a team. And we need to do something. And I don't know if it's in the classroom or if it's at work, but we need to go back to just seeing each other. Yeah. And if we do nothing else in the next decade of just trying to see each other's point of view, you know, if not, I don't know what we become. I really don't know what we become. It's, um, it's scary. It's just so fundamental to human connection and community to be able to see the person you're next to, right? And have some empathy and understanding for where they are. So I agree with you. Um, you guys, I think the action items coming out of this are, first of all, to be thinking in your office, what are your rules that you have? And not just the ones that you articulate, but like, if we could say these are catchphrases that we believe in, what are those things? Um, and identifying whether those are just things you say or they're things that you can can point to and say, here's the behaviors that support that issue. And then also, I really love the idea of thinking about on your campus, who is a cultural broadcaster? So who are the people like Anthony who can say a thing in a succinct way that make it stick, that everybody understands, and that is creating these rules for the way that we engage with each other and see each other and have, you know, community together? I think it's a really important question to ask, and I like asking it now because you have the summer to really think about that so that in the fall, you can have the right catchphrases and storytelling and beacons to be able to support you. So that's awesome. Anthony, we should do Campus Impossible. Let's go to a campus. Let's do it, man. If I get a campus to volunteer, we'll go and we'll do a little... You know, somebody said to me, and I would love to, and, but you know, it's somebody said to me, I'd rather do a secret shop that nobody knows it's me because somebody said to me, well, you know what I find really, I think it was my, my producer who's Joe manager. She said, um, I really like, uh, when my friends come and, you know, 
take over my hotel for a day and I take over their hotel and I tell them the problems. It's like never in a day would I let anybody take over my <laughs> hotel and do that. And I would never want to do it to your hotel for two reasons. One, I'm not going to be honest. I'm yeah. not telling my friend, like, because there's one thing of saying, hey, just so you know, the window wasn't cleaned or that. But to come in and say, your culture here sucks. I'm never going to say that. It's a total that. wreck around here. <laughs> I'm never, right. I'm never going to say that. So, so yeah. if you want me to come in blind and no one knows that I'm the person behind the report, I'll do it. But yeah. if I'm coming in and like, I'll come in and do a nice, like, oh, you should maybe look at that, look at that. But if I, if, if somebody really wants my opinion, um, you know, just be ready for it because I'm going to get it. Yeah, no, me. I think that's good. We can put you in a disguise. You did that one time. You did. Yes. I need. Yeah, I did I it. I did it in, 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 in Myrtle Beach and I did it against my will. They drugged, <laughs> they drugged, they drugged me. <laughs> They put you in a wig and they put you, you look like a trucker. Right. Uh, yes. And my producer <laughs> apparently is watching this and she said she has excellent ideas. I guess this is live. <laughs> for sure. All right, Anthony. Well, thank you for joining me. Hey, next week. I think you're joining me again next week. I am. Next week is our 50th episode. So that's super exciting and happens to be somebody's birthday, not mine. Uh, somebody's 57th birthday. That's exciting. Are you doing something fun? Uh, hopefully living to see 57. Okay. Well, I will, <laughs> I will start off uh, next week with a happy birthday song for you. How about that? Well, thank you. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm not a big birthday person. I've never been a big birthday person. I'm, uh, yeah. you know, I just want everybody to be happy. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll make our audience promise that next Tuesday we will all be happy for you as a birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when people try to sing me happy birthday in a restaurant, I don't know if I told you this last year, uh, we were in a restaurant somewhere uh, it was a couple of years ago and people went to sing me happy birthday. I'll never forget my feeling of complete, and, and I'm so disappointed in myself, complete and utter anger because I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. No, me but too. like it was a visceral reaction. It's like, I was like, don't sing me happy birthday. And then I caught myself. My wife looked at me. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I didn't mean to yell, but really don't do it. <laughs> like it was right? like, gut- like, it was, it was like guttural. It's like, like, I don't want it. I yeah, have to sit there I for 30 either. seconds while everybody stares at me and sings. And everybody in the restaurant who doesn't know me and doesn't give a shit about me is, excuse my language, is singing yeah. me happy birthday. It's my least favorite thing. I appreciate yes. it. But um, I've, so I'm learning to be a little bit more gracious if somebody does sing me happy birthday in a restaurant. Well, I think that you and I have that in common because I'm like, if you, if anybody really loves me, do not tell anybody in the restaurant it is my birthday. That's none of their business, and I do not want to talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I just don't, I just don't want. I'm not. Again, I'm not. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not an attention guy. So yeah. Yep. I know that about you. All right, friends. So good to see you. I'll see you next week. Have fun in Las Vegas. Uh, I'll thank be gone. In, I'll be gone. I'll be gone in two hours. But thank you. Oh, all right. We'll have fun for the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs>